Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in again to the show. I am trying to get these out on a fairly regular basis. And wow, I can't believe today's the 17th episode. It only took me like almost two years to get here, but I will pick up the pace from now on. And thanks so much for all your comments. I've been getting some great reviews, great comments. I pretty much get emails every day about the podcast. Um, you know, to answer a few of your questions and comments, uh, I get suggestions for people to interview, but I only interview people I know as a general rule, and I don't like to do Skype and things like that. So that's why I like waiting around sometimes. I have to do it in person. It's just more intimate, and I think it creates a better quality podcast for your listening. But thanks again for your comments. Uh, either way, I love hearing from everybody. Dance me to your beauty with a burning violin. Dance me through the panic till I'm gathered safely in. Lift me like an olive branch and be my home. All right, well, let's talk about today's guest. My guest today is singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and my friend, Madeline Peru. Known for her sultry, retro vocal style and phrasing, Madeline is an internationally known jazz and blues artist. Having headlined some of the biggest jazz festivals in the world, from Europe to Japan and all points in between, and as a part-time member of her band, myself, on and off, for maybe a period of three or four years, maybe more. I got to play at a lot of them, you know, Hollywood Bowl, Hammersmith Apollo, London, Beacon, New York City, North Sea Jazz Festival, a bunch of bunch of uh, great times with Madeline. Um, as you'll hear on this episode, she's lots of fun, lots of laughs. And um, her biography is well known online you can find it but she's got an interesting story she's from the u.s but she was kind of raised in paris and lived on the street and worked as a street musician and really cool story you'll hear about it we'll talk about all that stuff she's got a really unique guitar style that i like too we'll talk about some of the ways she approaches her that her style and voicings and things like that 
All right, well, on a nice hot day in August, I took the subway over to, to Madeline's apartment in Brooklyn. We sat for a minute and chatted and then just turned the mics on and let her roll. So uh, I hope you enjoy this one. You'll hear the windows were open and she lives across the street from a park. So you'll hear like kids playing, but it's not too intrusive, hopefully. And All right, follow me upstairs. I'm walking up to Maddie's apartment in Brooklyn. She picks up her Martin guitar, spend a minute getting a tone happening, and then we try to figure out what to play. And eventually we figure it out. Hope you enjoy. Is that too loud? It's beautiful. Well, you want to just play something? Just yeah. I mean, okay. I could... What should we play, man? Oh man, it's been so long. I don't know. Well, I don't know, man. Don't... I would love to do something with you that that we we used to play. There were a bunch of great songs that we used to. I know um, there were that so was so many. fun together, and um, I really don't. Something <sighs> simple, and then then maybe after we'll do because I don't remember a lot of. Uh, I should have brought a um, set list. <laughs> Yeah, don't cry, baby. We could do that. Just a you want to do that? Yeah. All right. Honey, please don't cry. Listen to me. There's no reason why we shouldn't agree if I hurt your feelings I apologize your again Don't you know I didn't mean to Make you feel blue Honestly I'll try to never ever do that again you forgive him? Won't you forget? Do as I ask you to. I'll never let you regret. But if you'd only
sorry, so don't cry, baby. There's no one, there's no one else around but you. Yes, don't cry, baby. There ain't nobody else but you. Yeah, Madeline. It was sort of coming back to me towards the end there. Last <laughs> me <30. laughs> too. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sitting in Brooklyn, New York with my friend Madeline Peru. Whereas my friend Nori calls it Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, beautiful place. Thank you. Yeah, we're in deep Brooklyn here. For deep. those that like that term. Why is it deep Brooklyn? It's like further than Manhattanites have ever gone, mostly. It's further than this uh, would-be Manhattanite has ever gone, I think. Yeah, probably. We're, uh, but we're deep on the south side of it rather than east. Like, we're not, we're not out towards, uh, you know, Bed-Stuy or Flatbush. We're south of, of everything towards, uh, towards the Verrazano's. Sunset Park, and um, we can see the Statue of Liberty from here. It's a beautiful view out of out of that kitchen window. You Man. can see the, that Statue of Liberty every, you know, morning and night. At night, it's all lit up. And it's kind of uh, powerful. 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 Beautiful. Powerful. <laughs> well, listen, I I know you've done like real legit interviews for NPR and like. You know, <laughs> I notable, don't remember those. <laughs> notable music journalists, and I'm flattered that you would, you know, entertain Aww. my little uh, hobby here and uh, I have think me. It's a beautiful to your thing place. that you're doing. We were just yeah. talking mm-hmm. before we started right. that that the the idea of the podcast in and of itself is kind of like going back to radio and and also the original form of storytelling, right? Right. So that your mind fills in all the blanks, that you're not being bombarded with pictures and or noise. Well, you make up your own pictures. Yeah. What was the other thing you were, we were saying about it? I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was five minutes ago. I don't know. <laughs> um, something about... Yeah, I, I lost it. Sorry. Um, cut! <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give the listeners some background. I mean, I just had John Harrington on the podcast. John's been your longtime guitar player for many years. It's added up. Yeah, we just hit the ten-year mark now. That it's got to be, but he 10 has years. You know, it's not the only guitar player. Not, you, you were, you were part of those ten years. I was, too. I was, because I, I went through an email last night to see if I could. I'm going to cheat here and confess that I tried to find some charts in case we played something. I found <laughs> the original email you sent me. You were in Japan, and it was 2007. Okay. Wow. Ten, 10 years. years. Wow. So we've known each other a while. And we've, you know, I got to say, this is no, no bullshit. Like, some of my most memorable musical times on stage have been with you and that band. No. I'm serious. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the, you know, because 
the thing that I liked about playing with you was just the space. I really mm-hmm. learned a lot about space. You know, I would, I would, I would innately just go for something, and I would have you know Jim Beard or Ted Baker or somebody look at me and go, "Whoa, no, just lay out there." They wouldn't say it, but they would say it with their eyes. And I huh. started learning about space, and you too. You, you, you know, I learned a lot on that gig, and it was just so huh. refreshing to like get off stage and be like, "Wow, we just." I just remember many nights I liked. I really did like it. I'm not just saying it. So. Aww. Well, that's and so sweet to to hear that. To I mean, obviously, it's not my doing, but it's just the the whole dynamic of us all together. And no, you had you had a lot of good lessons. Knowing how to work with space. Sometimes there's too much space in my head. <laughs> <laughs> they make things for that. <laughs> Pills. <laughs> But we went a lot of places together, man. I was thinking about, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll think, oh yeah, I've been here before. Oh yeah, with Madeline. Really? Oh yeah, cool. Maddie. Yeah, we were here. We were here. We were here. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, it seems like we were in France for like two months one time. And we well, did. that's because you didn't like it there. <laughs> well, let's say <laughs> it was probably say, only a I don't week. Wanna, now you've just pissed off my the two people in France that listen to this. Um, well, they don't know why, it, it so it's okay. Let's just say it's Reserve failed judgment. to resonate with my uh, ancestral. Uh, it never really. I, I think it's it's fascinating that you don't that you didn't. There were things that you didn't like in France that really were important to you. Um, that probably does come from your ancestral. Yeah, it failed to resonate culture. on some deep ancestral level. I with mean, me. maybe it resonated on. It, it, maybe it was the contrary that it resonated because. Your people left that place. Yeah, well, we were probably like the provincial, you know, farmers and poor people there that got kicked out. So maybe yeah, that's you were is. sick of the nonsense, which is, and there is there is something to be said for the tragedy of the the sort of old world culture that includes imperialism and you know royal royalty, monarchy, monarchism, and you know it's still there. Yeah, and. America's really still has that spirit of like uh, of the original with the that comes from that original idea. We founded on some. There's some great things that we did when we started this country. There's a lot of horrible things that we did, but that's not one of them. You yeah. know, man, we're ten minutes in, and this is already deeper than Getting any, too any deep. episode. No, that's cool. <laughs> well, it's off. It's not on mu- a musical topic. You can totally edit anything no, out I'm that not I said. Anything. I could lie to you. I don't edit at all. <laughs> but yeah, so songs that we that we do together and the times that we've had on the road together. Yeah. I remember playing at the Beacon with you and, you know, coming up to New York all the time to rehearse and everybody yeah. in the band was New York except me. Oh and wow. I, and yeah. I remember uh well, I not, would lose oh, my yeah, temper Barack. and Barack would be like you should move to New York, Shane, and in six months you're going to be like us in real hard edge. And I go, man, I would never move here. Did it's you? It's like set up like a giant pain in the ass. I love visiting. I would never live here. Now, here it is. Uh-huh. I'm here. You know, and I do love it, I got to say. Yeah. I really do. I like it a lot. But. Well, maybe New York has. I hate it. But, I mean, I, I live here. So I hate it in the way that somebody hates it when they live there. I don't hate it from afar. I hate yeah. it close. <laughs> well, if I I like I like having the balance between New Orleans and you know I crave the 
it's sort of an expensive migratory pattern to keep up, but I like it. I like New Orleans, New York balance. It seems like there, you remember we, I mean, you've been over to my house and hung out and you, you like New Orleans too, right? It's wonderful. Yeah. And you have some, it's, I uh, think of it as very different. Too. Yeah. My name is from New Orleans. That's where my last name comes from, where my dad's family comes from. I have a lot of cousins down there that I don't know. And there are some that I do know. I think you were there that night that we played the um, blues club. House What's it blues. called? The House of Blues. Thank you. Yep. Uh, in New Orleans. And when we walked in to do the sound check, the, uh, the guy that runs the club down there came up to me and said, uh, Hello, you're my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> well... But you've always had a, that was one of the things I wanted to discuss before we get into your whole background. Like you've already always had an affinity from New Orleans and, and uh, for New Orleans. And I don't know where that came from. Was it the music or was it just, you just like? Well, yeah, I'm, I think it's the music first because it, it's what I got from my dad, you know. And your um, dad was from New Orleans. My dad was born and raised in yeah. New Orleans, yeah. So I got more from him. I got the music that he listened to over and over again had uh, this variety to it and, and, and this sort of, I think this sort of um, sensitivity to uh, sort of what's the way it's a special feel behind music that not in, that has, I, for lack of a better word, more soul than than a lot of other music that might be in the same genre. Like it's there's something, and I'm and I'm not just talking about New Orleans musicians, though it's true. But I'm also talking about sort of that uh, cultural thing that's in New Orleans in the music that it's just there's um. It's warm. It's always felt to me like it's very very warm, hearted, and more so than anywhere else. And I think my dad was naturally um, interested in that when he chose what to listen to around the house. And man, did he put on records. He was uh, like a friend of mine, and the only thing he could play was a record player, but he played it all the time, you know? Like, what, what did he play? You remember any? Yeah. Um, Hank Williams Sr., Buddy Holly, Fats Domino, um you know, Louis Armstrong. It was pretty eclectic. Those are four good Randy ones Randy right Newman. There. Yeah. Yeah, it was always good shit. <laughs> he, he, I don't think there's anything that, I mean, I don't know. I, a friend of mine doesn't like Jim Croce, but I, he listened to a lot of Jim Croce too. And mm. I loved Jim Croce because of him. Um, you know, but, yeah. you and I are probably about the same age, and I was wondering, I never asked you about this, but any, like, mainstream pop stuff, because I, I know it was on the radio when we were growing up. I mean, mm. did you ever listen to any of that? Were you ever, like, a fan of some boy band or something like that, or was it always... Um, well, you know, you just mentioned Tears for Fears. Yeah. Yeah, I liked them. Yeah, they're great. And you too, and... Yeah. Um, but, you know... Most of the time, my my memories of the radio and Michael Jackson, of course, my, 
but not all of Michael Jackson at the time because I didn't hear it for the music. I mostly heard like this culture that was like Reebok sneakers and hairspray and you know that I did. It was a noisy culture to me. Ferris wheels and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fire engine trucks. No, well, (laughs) that's what he had when they when the police raided his uh, place. They they followed him out and he was he was riding in his fire truck. Really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Well, I'm thinking of like this Brooklyn, basically where we are now, like the culture that that was here in the 80s was on the radio, was sort of in sync with the radio at like that run time. run DMC and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that was good shit. Yeah. I have to say that was good shit. And the Beastie Boys was a, oh, man, was a big Beastie. pride of ours, you know, out here in Brooklyn. And that was fun. Some of that stuff, I don't know. It sounds a lot better now than it did at the time to me. Some of the, mm-hmm. some of the '80s pop was was better than I than I thought it was. I would try to listen to the radio and try to find out what other kids in school were on about and where they get these ideas from. And I didn't get a lot out of it, you know. I mean, and was... so I retreated into the stuff that my dad had at home, and records, and and what whatever. Tapes people would make for me. I had a lot of mixtapes when I was growing up. That was my my favorite thing. Make me another tape. Yeah, tapes. Mm. You can cry a million tears. You can wait a million years. If you think the time will change your way. A lot of people think of you as like French American, you know, which I guess you are because you lived there for a long time. But you were born in Georgia, Athens, Georgia. Yeah. Which is a cool place. Yeah, I didn't really get to know it until later. We went back on my own. But as a kid. Yeah, that's a great town, man. But you're really, I think of you as more of a New Yorker. You've been in New York most of your life, right? Yeah, I am a New Yorker in a way. It's, I feel I'm looking at you with a little bit of shame when I say that in the sense that, uh, you know, I look around and sometimes it, it just, it's, the city is tough, you know, big cities are so tough and I embraced that toughness at first and I was like, I wanted to be so tough, man, that I was just mean when I was like 11. You know, <laughs> like a mean 11 year old. It's just such a funny, weird thing. It, this is not going to last, you know, but you, at the time it seemed like a really good idea. This is how I need to be. I need to be like this. And it wasn't until I left New York City that I learned that a lot of the ideas I had about the world were wrong. So some of that, I think, comes from New York itself, the, the way that New York treats you and and sets things apart some things are always out of reach here because it's always there's so much money driving our our experiences of the city that it's sort of like well this sucks you know i gotta sit on this train for hours all every day or mm-hmm. i have to you know but now it, it's um it's just as tough but now i've come back to it with the attitude of 
um, I feel at home here and there's a lot of stuff that I believe in here and of course people that I that I love that are here yeah. which obviously is the key to any place right right you know I didn't choose to stay over in France and like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt France that didn't work for me you know and I can't deny that it, it was amazing to be there which at the time I didn't when I first moved there I was about 12 and I was like hmm this this is a very bad I this is but you be were very thrown hard. into it like your mom just you basically went like you didn't really know anybody there right or you no. could you speak French when you went there no wow that must have been really hard well it, I didn't like it yeah but you know in retrospect it's like you forces you to changed grow, right? my life yeah. yeah it changed my life in a way that nothing else could you know not just to learn a new language but to just have this pr different perspective on the world and I, it, it's funny I'm, I have this I just moved into this apartment in Sunset Park a few months back and, and I had this view uh, facing west right which is from here it's uh, the Statue of Liberty and then New Jersey and then obviously what comes after that and the rest of the United States and mm -hmm. when I moved when I lived in Paris with the street band I lived with we were on the Seine on the boat and, I'll, and it was always amazing from that perspective to look west and see the sunset and go, that's where America is. America's that way. Like that new world stuff, that whole, these whole dream, these big dreams of... of go of west, young man. Creating, yeah, and creating your own life and everything. And look at all of the horrible things that happen when you do that. You say, yeah, we're going to start something brand new that's never been done before. Well, you end up destroying a whole lot of old things, like people that lived here, for example, before the Europeans got here, or destroying maybe the structures that, that you came from and losing them and having to start over and say, well, what is my culture really? What is, you know, where are we? Obviously, like I said before, there's a lot of wonderful things, I think, that are here. And New York is kind of, to me, it feels like the center of mm -hmm. where that all mm -hmm. began. Yeah, you can feel an energy here. I, was, I said that on another podcast. I totally, I feel, I get so much done here in a week. And I go back to New Orleans and I think, oh, man, how could I leave here? But then I don't get anything accomplished. You know? Really? <laughs> Something about the energy. I think it's a... That's good. I'm like, you're inspiring me to get stuff done. I think it's more about you than it is necessarily about... Maybe. Like, time and place have to go together, you I know? guess so. I guess it's all... Everybody's got their own story. How is your mom, actually? I meant to ask. She's well. Good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I just saw her a lot, She's actually. great. Yeah, tell her hi. Okay. <laughs> Remember I tripped in Sweden backstage, and she, she broke my fall for me. Oh, she did? Me. Yeah. <laughs> She really liked your jokes. Oh, God. She That's why. <laughs> That's yeah. Have you shared a lot of your joke sort of self on the podcast yet? Sometimes. Okay. You know, it's not really about me, but I probably don't know any more new ones since then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so listeners get a little background. I'm sure most people know that. You've done. You've probably said all this stuff a hundred times. But when you were in France in, in Paris, you you became a street musician, right? And that was like your formative thing. I mean, that, you don't have to go into the whole story about it, but how was that starting out? I mean, it must have been 
were you, was it exciting at first or were you scared or was you, you were with a group of people, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was terrified by myself. Well, I mean, what, I, what was happening was I thought that I would hang out where these street musicians were hanging out and watch them to learn guitar because, you know, we didn't have money uh, for lessons. And also, even if you do have money for lessons, you don't really, if there's, there was nobody in my family or in my, in my life that really would say, oh, you should study with this or you should do that. Like, I was just like, I just want to get past the first three chords and I want to, I want to pick something up. And I, there's these musicians hanging out, these street musicians all in this one cafe which is itself kind of like an amazing situation that I stumbled on and, and that's like a long story. But so first I was just hanging out and then it was terrifying when I did my first terrace by myself. Well, that's a very mm. strong memory when I was, you know, sitting around picking guitar outside the this cafe and a friend of mine sat there and he said, you know what, you're really good. <laughs> I remember looking at him. He's usually half, half drunk in the, by early afternoon anyway. And I was just like, okay, thanks. And then he's like, no, 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 really. I mean, you're really good. He said, uh, why don't you, uh, have you played a terrace yet? Have you, you know, playing a terrace for people that are not street musicians means, and a terrace in this case in Europe is a place where people are seated outside in a cafe oh, okay. where yeah. all the tables are set up and, you know, waiter is, is, is serving you on your on the outdoor terrace of the restaurant and playing a terrace is just walking up to a bunch of tables and sort of imposing yourself by starting to play music. And it's enough of a tradition that certain neighborhoods in Paris, especially the quiet ones with the smaller streets and less traffic, that you expect that that's going to happen. Now, if you sit down to have a meal at a restaurant outside when on a nice summer day, somebody comes along and, and does a show, a, a clown starts a show or a musician starts playing and you decide whether you like it or not, right? But so I've been watching these guys play these terraces and, and I, yeah, I went up there with my guitar. I said, oh, I gotta have three songs and I gotta do it by myself. And he said, look, if you play it, I'll pass the hat for you. Cause I was wow. like, there's no way I'm gonna pass the hat with these people it's too it's too in your it's very in your face you know it's a very different relationship with an audience when you know you're going to have to walk up to their table look them all in the eyes see who they are see whether or not you they like the fact that first you imposed on them but not only that and you might have interrupted them but maybe you gave them some pleasure and then say how much do you think this was worth which is you know more than zero, hopefully, is what you're, where you start, right? I think that really affects you as a performer when you, if you have to do that. And it's not begging. It can be, it can feel like begging. It's up to the person passing the hat whether or not it's begging. You can pass the hat and be begging in your demeanor, in your attitude, or you can walk up and say, did you like the music? Would you like to give us something for it? Yeah and be focused on, you know, this is an exchange, this is not begging. But nobody's forcing you to do anything, and I hope you liked the music. If you didn't like it, I'll leave you alone, you know? Yeah. And, uh, whew, 
Man, I was so, like, shaking so much during and after that whole thing. But we got 50 francs, and so we were happy about that. And I was like, oh, if I could make 50 francs. Huh, let, wait, let me think about this yeah. for a second. I think <laughs> I should try this again sometime, but I got to get up the courage to do it, you know. strong memory for me and man those those must have been some hard lessons but that's where you get your stuff together man it's being thrown into the fire like that huh? on the street and I it's teaching so. you about business how to handle an audience how to what's read read an audience i mean that's like yeah there uh, for in that aspect the, the 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 fact that everybody's so close to you and you're drawing there's the other thing we call a pitch which is where you just set up on a corner and you hope to draw a crowd and that's a lot harder than having the captive audience of a terrace, right? So you get to that point, and I got to the point where I was like, I got to learn how to get a pitch and do it by myself. And hmm. that's hard, man. That is the hardest one. And yet a good pitch has the most amazing energy, I think, really for anybody. A musician would love it, you know, and everybody else would love it too. And you're all kind of together on the same plane and... It's very exciting. So, yeah, yeah. If you can create that atmosphere in a concert hall or an arena or whatever size places you play nowadays, I mean, that's the key, I think, mm -hmm. just remembering, like, okay, how do you get in touch? Because it's funny how you're walking down the street and you decide to stop and have a really great experience. Uh, that happens to me sometimes. I think just the other day, what was it? Um, it was so great. Oh, God. Let me think for a second. Oh, yeah, it was yesterday. I took my brother for, sorry, my brother for a walk in, in uh, Central Park. And, you know, those beautiful sort of underground pass mm -hmm. pa passerelles or whatever they're called, where the acoustics are just, mm -hmm. you know, perfect. And there was a five piece um vocal acoustic vocal group and we just stopped and, and and stayed in there and yeah man they were really really working and it sounded fantastic and that's exactly the kind of beautiful energy where people are walking by and they're not expecting anything and then this wonderful things ha thing happens yeah i'll give you some money for that you know <laughs> and it's also on the same plane financially as like eating food. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that a really good restaurant experience, you don't prepay for it. For some reason, you pay at the end. And I think the reason is that there's a more pure feeling of, of, of genuine exchange, you know? So, yeah. I yeah, never thought about that. I like that. Although, you probably... Sometimes you'll find you get more than you expected, and sometimes you'll find you get less than you right. expected. So it's right. a little bit more difficult to right. to be part of this. There's no regulation going on with it. Yeah. 
the world is not secure. And most of the people at that time that we were on the, there was a whole lifestyle involved, you know. Um, the good thing about it is I really could just play music all the time. All right, I'm going to come, I'm going to do a complete 180 and take us back to what, like a, a more technical kind of question, but just for the guitar players that are listening to this, what guitar were you playing back then when you were busking? Uh, what was your first guitar you had? Well, the first guitar I ever had was just a Yamaha um, Dreadnought guitar. It was okay. It was a, it was decent. And then I think somebody stole it. Um, and then and I was on the street, so I really had to figure out a way to get another guitar. And that took a while. And I have found that it's a really personal thing, even though it's fun to have like several different kinds of instruments and guitars and stuff. It can really affect you if you have sort of a connection to one instrument more than the others and and um, and that didn't happen for me for a long time it wasn't until I made my first record and then I was lucky enough to be in the studio with um, the drummer from the attractions Pete Thomas one day on a recording that was never finished actually for various label reasons what happened was in the green room, he had just picked up uh, uh, this guitar at a pawn shop and it was just sitting in there. And it was perfect for me. I just like, you know, lit up when I saw this guitar. It was just really small. It's a, it's a Martin 017. 48, 47? It turned out, well, I believe it's 1943. Oh, 43. Yeah, because one thing is for sure, it's during the Second World War, and because of that, metal rationing was going on, and they had they they wouldn't put any uh, steel or steel in it, so no truss rod, truss rod. Yeah, and there were other things like the frets and stuff that were I think brass or copper. I'm not really sure, but I had it to get it all re get the neck all redone and everything well what happened was the my you know my mentor who signed me to the re to the to the record company Eve Beauvais was there at the session and he saw me picking playing this guitar and he was like well you want me to ask Pete if I pay him more for the session and then um let you have the guitar and I was like well I don't want to piss him mm, off you know yeah and then uh so he said well it doesn't hurt to ask you know i said yeah. okay and so he asked him and he said oh my wife will be so happy <laughs> <laughs> i didn't bring home another you know he said i have tons of these things that i buy in these these that's shops. the little mahogany one yeah i have yeah. you know i have a 53 or 52 just like it i mean really? obviously it's 10 years younger but yeah i never saw that of i that think i one. sent you a picture once i found it in a pawn hmm. shop yeah but it's a great guitar man the mahogany is old and it just sounds so good it dries up i like that, yours those, i played yours old before. mahogany guitar yeah. like that wood gets so dry yeah. that it gets so resonant and you can just tell and also it's so light mm -hmm. there's something so magical about that 
And also because it's small, it just feels way more natural than a dreadnought guitar. I don't know why everybody starts on a dreadnought. It's not, to me, dreadnoughts are really hard to play. They're usually you know, kind of unbalanced. Yeah. So just playing these open chords like that are, it's not great at the beginning and it's hard to play them in tune because you're down in the first position. Right. And so everything's kind of out of tune all the time. And it just, when, when you finally get like a small um, bodied guitar coming from that, coming from those kinds of things, you go, if you're into acoustic guitars, I think it's just, for me, it was just like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. I could actually sound good. Yeah, that's a great guitar. I mean, the <laughs> one you have now is, you, you were telling me you had to since retire that guitar that you had forever, and now you have... Another Martin. Another Martin. Yeah, a, a new one. This is an 018. Sorry, double uh, 018. Double 018. Yeah. But relatively small and also very, you know, same thing, very balanced sound. And it's also got the uh, a wider neck, you know, the sort of vintage style neck. Yeah. So, so it's a comfortable, for me, it's more comfortable to have that space. And um, Yeah, because you have an interesting style. I mean, I, I want to talk about where you, who were some of your guitar influences. Because, you know, you you do all these kind of voicings, like these kind of three note. Yeah. Those things. And where, right. where did you learn that stuff from? I mean, who were, who were some of your influences on guitar? Well, we, in, the, in this first street band that we were in, the, uh, the leader, the, the musical director, was this uh, Dutch guitarist who was going to the Jazz Conservatory over in Holland, in, in Hilversum, Holland. And he, he would put together these arrangements because we didn't play with a bass. We played oh. with a washtub bass as a percussive instrument and no drums. And he would put together these arrangements where uh, there would be a rhythm guitar player playing those kinds of chords with the bass note and then sort of the third and then the tension up top. Just those, those things to move around. And he almost became sort of like a for me, like an idiot's guide to, to difficult harmony, like to be able to say that what sounds, it starts to sound, you know, they're so beautiful mm -hmm. on the guitar. It's actually easy to play those voicings that are so hard on, you know, like on a piano, to visualize on a piano these, these sort yeah, of... Yeah, the wide gap, the interval gap. Yeah. It's like Freddie Green or something, you know. It is. It's totally influenced by Freddie Green and Count Basie. A style uh, rhythm playing it's minimalist and um, and when I saw this rhythm guitar player doing that with these guys and you know I you know he and I would practice together because we were the two newbies in the band and uh, I remember when when I said you know I said you know I, I can't practice the songs when you're not here and I'm really upset about that and he's like you can play this stuff. I was like, no, you don't understand. And he's like, no, you don't understand, you know? Mm. <laughs> and it was, it was a good thing that he just said, man, just start by playing, learn to play a blues in these two, two type of shapes. And boy, was that a revelation that, you know, 
that you don't need to you don't need a lot of notes and I'm still getting that revelation now because like recently I worked with an orchestra and and we were trying to put together uh, arrangements there's not a lot of notes the less notes involved the better less you know? is more yeah especially when you have a piano player like when I was playing with you you know I would I wouldn't play with that your yeah. tune you know the, that you did it's like hardly anything you know but it doesn't need any more it's just enough but like, it's kind of powerful in that very sense powerful. if you get it to sound you, really clear yeah if you add all these extensions you know just it gets too dense and and it's uh it's more of a statement i think with just the yeah kind of like the way a podcast <laughs> keep gives you freedom we've got full this, circle I want to hear where this is going yeah <laughs> the way a podcast <laughs> gives you that space in your mind to imagine things and to visualize I don't know, to visualize you playing guitar while you're, yeah. you know, and to visualize this a story as, as you hear voices. I think it's kind of similar in music. You give yourself space, you know, yeah. and, and you, it, it gives you more room uh, to, for the, gives the audience room is what I mean. The listener gets room to be more involved in it in right. a way. Engaged, yeah. Every night he'd come to me Just talk for a few more minutes, if that's all right. I, we really—I always remembered right before you stopped touring with me that um, that there was a period when we were really like I was really, really enjoying where we were going with it, you and I. Except for I, you know, I, I remember playing "I Hear Music," and that one, Jim Beard is playing the solo before me, you know, and <laughs> I have to follow him and. And I told him, man, I hate having to play after you every night, Jim. You know, can we flip the order or something? And and he's like, what? You know, he always had the ear. And he goes, <laughs> now you. And he, oh, you know what he told me? He goes, now you know how I felt after I had to play after I had to play after Michael Brecker. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. But I remember you telling me. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. And I remember we were somewhere like having a beer, and you're like, man, everything's great, but dude, that solo you're playing is not swinging. Oh, well, but you know what? You, you were exactly the, right. You're focusing on the one thing that didn't. There was only no, one no, thing. No, no, but I, I think about that. I mean, now I can play with Jages because I shedded it. But actually, that song I think is even more tricky because it goes Be to a two and it's a five. not, yeah, it's they're not just rhythm changes, there are extra bars. Yeah, I mean, anytime I see somebody's recorded that song, I'm like, oh my god, let me let me find out how they decided to do it because it's. It doesn't really feel very natural the way that the song was written, but no, it's some of weird. it doesn't, you know. Do, do, yeah. Do, 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 yeah, exactly. Do, 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 oh. It's almost... It's got the weird... Yeah, and we were trying to do it faster every night, which was never easy. Oh yeah, that was our arrangement. <laughs> yeah, but... um. It was in B flat, right? So it was mm -hmm. 
That's a different bridge, right? Isn't it? There's my talking about space. Your producer, I don't know, I don't know if you're working with him anymore, and I can we we don't have to talk about it or I can take it out. But Larry no, I'm, Klein I'm about but, to make to work with him okay. actually. Yeah. You know, your records was the first one, Half the Perfect World. Mm-hmm. Careless Love. Careless was Love was your first made, one. Yeah. yeah. But Larry Klein has a way of, and, and for those of you that don't know, Larry Klein's a, a phenomenal bass player. He played with Freddie Hubbard. He was married to Joni Mitchell. He played with Joni Mitchell. He's done a ton of stuff, but he's primarily a producer now. But the way he captures your voice, whatever his mic choices are, and, you know, his just his use of space, and I know you have a lot to do with it too, but, you know, no, to me, those I wouldn't records say that. are gorgeous, man. They're really yeah. beautiful records. Yeah, he and, and of course, uh, Helik Hadar was his uh, engineer. Yeah, the sound of those records kind of still blows me away, and I I really don't know how they do it. Is so. there a specific... It's always the same microphone, though? It's got to be the same mic on your voice. Well, there's standard... Like a Neumann 67, yeah. or some old beautiful German mic or something. Yeah, that's what most... It might be an 87, but it's what most people know to use. It's not really a... I think that there were some serious pre's involved that I don't know anything about the stuff that goes between the microphone yeah, and Yeah, I the, don't either. I mean, I know, yeah, yeah, about preamps and things, but for the purpose of this, I mean, the, just the general tone of your voice is you don't really need much. You know, you could sing into this... Sure, 58 right here, and it would sound great, you know. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering what, if there's anything, because those, those recordings are, are beautiful. And um, Yeah, I agree. I think that there's a serious um, statement involved in, in, in that. I do, I really enjoy that about Larry, among so many other things. You know, I spend so much time thinking about other things rather than learning how he does stuff in the studio. And uh, I'm going to try to... <laughs> try to catch up in in the future you know most of the time i'm more worried about songwriting and uh arrange arrangements and 
Well, let's talk about songwriting for a minute. I, I want to ask you about co-writing. Mm. And we can talk about your own process, too. But I know you were, I, I think you told me one time you wrote some songs with Bill Wyman. Oh, yeah. What was, what was that like? Oh, my God. It was just so fun. You know, he Bill Wyman I ha, hasn't got... It's the same thing, I think. Well, it might not be true for, for everybody, but there are some people that are just so genuinely humble that there's nothing between... If you're, if you're so lucky to be in the same room with them, there's really nothing between you besides just being a human being. Um, Bill is definitely like that. Um, Larry is definitely like that. Walter Becker, you wrote wrote a lot of stuff with him, right? Um, not maybe, but I think it's two two songs, and that's really because of Larry. I wasn't in the room with Walter as much. I mean, I did spend some time with him, and of course, he's obviously yeah, he's also just a really human soul. You can kind of tell that from his music. You can't always tell that with some people on the artist. I don't know. Uh, the thing about Bill, well, where should we go next? No, whatever you want. I mean, that's fine. Um, we can talk about Bill, yeah. The process or what was it like to well, work with Well, the thing that, that strikes me is that he had a lot of these ideas that were sort of half, half finished. And that blew my mind right away because, first of all, I, uh, that's all I have is half finished ideas most <laughs> of the time. Or not finished, cl- cl- not even close to half finished. And I... Yeah, I think uh, he was willing to just open up and he, he handed me, like, maybe the first day I came in and sat down and I was explaining, you know, I really love to just write. And we were talking, he was telling me, explaining to me a lot of the dynamic of being the bad boys back in the early days of the Stones and why they were, why they became that and how they became that. And you were there when I first met Bill Wyman, weren't you? I probably, I don't remember. You don't remember that? Probably. When he, we were at the Nice Jazz Festival. Yeah, Backstage, so. we had just played, and it was getting dark, or it was just about dark. And somebody came up to me and said, Hey, I, I, um, I'd like to meet you. Uh, my name is uh, Bill Rolling Stones <laughs> and I couldn't hear him properly and I thought he said he worked with the bass player of the Rolling Stones what he actually had said is I was the bass player oh. of the Rolling Stones I didn't get it and I, I said sorry I have to go talk to somebody I'll be right back <laughs> it's terrible I don't think it's that awesome but you were there backstage he patiently waited while I did an interview and I came back and then I start, it started to sink in as he talked about people that he knows. And I'm here for, uh, he was there to see B.B. King and I don't know. And then uh, you came up. We were going to take a picture together and you came back and everybody suddenly like ran in like, let me get a picture with this guy. And you came up to him and you said, I know who you are. <laughs> That's what you said to him. And we took a picture. We took pictures oh together with God. him. You don't remember any of that? You've got palatial mansions. got a rented flat. you got Persian kittens. i 
that Tammy Cat. You got art collections, I got comic books. You use plastic surgery, stay the way I love you. Travel project, I stand by overnight. You romance with chandeliers. I had a friend who um, used to play in this band called Nickel Creek, this bluegrass band, and he was playing at the in London somewhere, though. I don't know, whatever. Apollo or whatever and after the gig he's a bass player and after the gig tour manager says uh, his name's Derek he goes Derek somebody wants to meet you you know and he goes okay well I didn't have any guests he goes well I'll send it back so John Paul Jones walks in from Led Zeppelin right he's wow. a big bluegrass fan and he goes he goes up to my friend my friend Derek is like he doesn't know what to say so he puts his hand out he's like speechless and wow. he goes hi I'm um, John Paul Jones and Derek just stares at him and and John Paul Jones leans in and he goes, from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure he knew. And he's like, oh, no, I, I mean, I know who you are. I just, I didn't know what to say, you know. But, but anyway, that's, I, I don't remember. I mean, maybe I remember that. It, was, well, I, it, was, it couldn't have been more than seven years ago, six years ago. <laughs> shit, that's. Might as well be twenty years. In my I head. know. Yeah. How does the time so fly? Much. But that's why we're young, right? It's the the, spe- the, this, the theory of special yeah. relativity. The faster you move, the slower time passes. Yeah. I've been hanging out with my mathematician brother for the last couple of days. <laughs> Is he really a mathematician? Yeah, he studies it. Oh, he studies it. So you you can call yourself a mathematician if you just study it. For the purposes of this conversation, <laughs> you're you're a comedian, first of all. I'm just joking, man. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking. Anyway, I I totally derailed the whole conversation. Did um, you? <laughs> but why don't we play something? Let's all play right. something. You know what's I love hearing you sing, is. Oh. Between the bars. Ooh. Can okay. we do just a taste? I'd love to. Yeah. And you're, this is a, who is it, Elliot Smith or something? Yes. But your Elliot version Smith. of it is. Cool. Oh, lovely. I, that's a great. And I, I'll try to remember, but I'll just let you play most of it because I don't remember what I used to play on it. It was probably minimal, though. <laughs> you're teasing now. <laughs> probably had tremolo on it. Okay. Okay. Oh 
keep them still. Keep going. Sure. It's so gorgeous, man. I'll kiss you again between the bars where I'm seeing you there. My hands in the air, waiting to find it because. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. I always love that. Hearing you sing that. Thank you. It gave me a goosebumps. Oh yeah, good because it's hot weather up in here. Have you uh, you cool still play that music. sometimes? Sure, sure thing. Yeah, that's one one of the things that has definitely changed over the years is that I've learned that once you do a song and you say I'm going to keep the, I'm going to try and do this and really make it my own you get stuck with it <laughs> yeah and not in a bad way but but it really is a, a commitment that you know like riding a bicycle you say I'm going to learn to ride a bicycle well then now you ride a bicycle for the rest of you can anyway and you know obviously sometimes uh, you have to keep playing but I mean that there's sort of an identity involved in each song that's mm -hmm. And people kind of expect to hear it. They want to hear you sing it. Yeah. Well, there's there's also the fact that, you know, when a, when there's a great song, you can't just walk away from it. I mean, it's a funny thing, though, that I do feel like as time goes by and you and you get older or you get wiser or you don't or you change or whatever, that you, you start to look for different meanings in, in your life and you, and, and you think, I want a song that talks about this and I want a song that talks about that and I feel like exploring this and that in, in the music that you do and it's almost like a little, little problem is figuring out where do these, all these songs go, you know? Where do yeah. they go? Where do they end up? Do they belong in the now always? I mean, even like the fact that I started my career doing songs that were mostly all pre-1960, at least, if not older, and then even picking up songs later that are more recent from, and then writing my own songs, I mean, where do they, be, where do they belong in history and in time? Do they always belong in the now? Like Dance Me to the End of Love by Leonard Cohen, you know, I, I, I'm sure I've played a show at some point over the last 12 years that I, where I didn't do that song, but it's probably the only once because I yeah. can't really think, I can't remember it. Was know? that the one that was on the Dockers commercial? Which one was the Dockers commercial? Oh, you're talking about a song I wrote, actually. Don't wait too long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's so That's funny all I remember is that of it. I'll never forget that, that that commercial was then like re uh, like they did a parody of it on YouTube where um, it's a gay meeting on a train, <laughs> two gays, two people that are really? gay meeting on a train rather than a, a, a straight. They took the same story as, a, as this commercial of, of uh, people seeing each other on trams that are parting in different directions and it's from San Francisco or something. 
and then they one of them gets off and thinks oh the other one's not there and then the other one also got off and so on YouTube there was a, like a same-sex sort of hookup and I thought that was so cool and then here we are like 12 years later and you know the laws have changed and everything and that just yeah. blows my mind it makes me so happy but somebody did it as a parody yes oh with that song I'll have to check that out yeah <laughs> with I think they were like um toy like toy people not oh real yeah people. yeah on the, on the oh that's funny yeah <laughs> didn't you do just a trio thing you and Barack and John secular yeah. hymns oh yeah why do you talk about that real quick oh now? it was really fun well it's interesting that you just uh talked to John Harrington well, yeah, in last your week. last po- yeah. podcast yeah that's so cool um and uh, and we talked about him earlier, so it'd be nice to just mention that the um, the sort of experience of, of of playing as a trio for me kind of goes back to the experience of being on the street, where there's a lot of space and a lot of you know being vulnerable in your chair because your everything you do is a little bit more you know right. more naked, you know, um, and then. And then there's something very cushy and comfortable about it, too. Isn't there? Don't you feel that this something like the trio kind of everybody think, seems to get each other's back or something? Yeah. Well, you have a g- good group of guys. Well, that, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. They listen and Barack's such a strong player and the bass player. And, mm. and your music, I think, lends itself well to, like I was saying, space and trio. And mm. so, yeah, it is like a big cushion. It feels that's what I always liked about playing in that format so but now you're even minus a drummer so you're a real we're a real trio yeah real trio not a singer plus no. a trio i met ron carter once and and i remember him he, he asked me uh so so uh what what's your band and i said uh quartet plus me <laughs> and he looked at me he looked at me like what wait what he did a double take you know because um it's like, oh, you're a singer. It doesn't count, you know. Which is, uh, I just have to shit. get, I have to get past that and say, no, this is a quintet. If there are four guys than me, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so yeah, so we're a trio, and it's the kind of nice to embrace that and just try to do more things, you know. Like the guys play all kinds of music that we don't play as a trio. But we're all stretched on on every level. Like I'm stretched on my guitar playing. They're singing. We're working on different arrangements. Sometimes John gives me some lead parts to play, and you know, Barack occasionally has to play percussive stuff on the band. I mean, it's just because we're stretched, and and uh, so your whole person is involved. You know, which I hope it I hope it continues to be like that when we're not just a trio anymore. I hope I can take the stuff that I learned from the trio and bring it into a bigger setting. Are there any particular uh, tunes you like off the new, your new record that you think are your favorites? Secular hymns. Um, hymns? Oh, okay, I have to remember what's on there because we don't have a song called Secular Hymns, unfortunately. But that's the record, right? That's the name of the record, yeah. yeah. Um, I like our version of Got You On My Mind a lot. You know what I like? If the sea was whiskey, that was. I'm so glad we got to do mm. some really old, you know, country blues songs like that, like that Willie Dixon song. 
That was, that's always fun. It's so fun. And I was a diving duck. If the sea was whiskey. And I was a diving duck. I died. And of course, we've been doing this, this, this Secular Hymns record came out and working on putting it together and then touring it after it came out. This is all during the whole U.S. elections and we're touring the states and during the caucuses and the various, you know, running up to the election and then right the day after the election, you know, we're in this, we're, we're, I was in Atlanta actually with, with the guys and just playing the states constantly during all of this and it, it just feels like it's all linked, you know, being the small trio and going in and just saying, okay, we're here to soothe you. Like, because everybody needs to be soothed. You feel it in the air in a way that you don't, I feel, I feel it now. Maybe I'm, you know, focused on that, but. Well, you say you just watch the news, so yeah, they probably so. <laughs> That's why I don't watch the news. I feel a lot better not watching any sort of media. But do you feel that the, that audiences are a little bit like, can you feel the tension that's in the air based on what's been happening that day? No. <laughs> I, honestly, no. I mean, people are there to have a good time. You know, they they always they pay you're a lot right. of money it's to come out for and, that reason. That's right. Don't they don't want to hear any of that bullshit. You know. Oh no, I'm not saying that we talk about it. No, I I'm know just that. Saying I'm saying just... that we walk in there and feel. I don't the, feel any of that. Specific, a specific kind of like grief or something. It's like Stevie Wonder comes to Jazz Fest and, you know, people wait in the hot sun all day and then he comes out and he starts talking about, you know, people don't want to hear the politics. It's like, just play your songs, man. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah, yeah every year. Every year he comes and it's just like... But anyway, no, I, I don't really feel that. I, I try to just focus on good, good energy and good positive things and... You know, we've had this discussion before with Katrina and all that stuff, man. It totally changed the way I mm. view any sort of media thing. And, and with all this recent stuff the past few years, it's been mm -hmm. validated. What was I going to ask you one more thing? I don't know. That's a lot. Just edit it down to the best stuff, okay? It's all good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I was thinking the other day? You remember we rode in the car with Dave Brubeck? You played Hollywood Bowl, remember that? Oh, that's such that's a great That's really cool, memory. right? Yeah. And he was old already. Yeah, he was and in 80-something. Like on his way to Europe that night. He was like just working. He was so nice, wasn't he? Yeah. Just, what did he, do you have many memories that I can spark? Yes, memories? McCoy Tyner. We, you, mm -hmm. we played with him. Remember that? I have videos of that. We were all dancing in the <laughs> yeah. dressing room. And yeah. I love those videos. That's actually I have, I have that's lots. one of the great things that you were able to do is to share. You know, another memory I have with you is is with the uh, British uh, drummer Jeremy. I just talked to Jeremy. Jeremy I Stacey. see Jeremy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. He's playing with King Crimson now. Yeah, I heard. Yes. You know what I remember? This is this is the I've told this story before. Remember we were rehearsing? Remember that? couple that old couple that had the rehearsal place and you couldn't touch anything and everything was basically frozen in 1971 you know yeah i mean I'm, I'm sure i don't know if they're around anymore they were nice people but it was a kind of weird place like and you couldn't touch anything we were yeah, rehearsing what was in it there called? Uh, i don't remember universal rehearsal it was on 30 30th so but anyway jeremy's in there madeline just hires this drummer from 
was playing with Sheryl Crow and not Oasis, but Noel Gallagher, the, you know, the, whatever that band is. And remember rehearsal, he was, he'd kick off a song and you were like, hey, um, could you just do it like maybe just a little slower? And he's like, okay, I'm just telling you that, you know, this is the tempo I got from Darren. This is it. And you're like, okay, but could you maybe just play a little slower? Okay, I will, but I'm just letting you know that this is, you remember that? He kept saying this <laughs> over and over, like, Jeremy, just play slower. <laughs> but he had to have the last right. Oh, okay, I'm just letting you know. Then you were like, um, okay, listen, I am paying you to like. No, I didn't. Yeah, it, Did you I were act, actually absolutely, you oh. were 100% right. I was like, just, bro, just play it. Like, what do you, just slow it down. Or don't slow down. <laughs> tell her you're slow, you know, something. <laughs> don't slow it. Tell her you're slowing it down. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Just pretend. And then, I and was then, slower, definitely. You know, the, like Barack would wear a suit and these guys, and I'd show up and, you know, I'd, I didn't look bad, but I didn't have a suit. And Jeremy shows up and, like, basically what he had on the day before all day, like a, a black T-shirt, you know, total rock and roll thing. And you were like, hey, um, listen, I don't care if you guys wear, like, a suit or anything like that, um, but could you just wear a shirt with, like, buttons on it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, but in a way, you know, I liked that he that he cared uh, about what Darren had told him and that he like cares enough to get the music right, because obviously that's the first and foremost. But I'm sure that I was in a situation where it was like, we all have to get through all these songs. We we don't have time to talk about that. Right. And you know what he told me? Because I see Jeremy when he comes to New York. He he always asked me about you and he always says, man, that was one of the funnest times he said, I had so much fun on that that's tour. Good. Musically, it was so good. I like so to good. think that that's kind of our job is to have fun. I mean, but mm-hmm. you know that. Everybody knows that. We're, it's our job to have fun. But it's, it, yeah, it's a funny thing, right? Well, I'm lucky that I'm having fun with this trio, but it's not always, it's not always, well, actually, let me think back. I can't think of any times. <laughs> See, this is the good stuff. I might actually move some of this to the front. <laughs> yeah, this is all fun. Good, yeah, once we warm up, right? Yeah, good good stories are. That's what you all you wanted. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you at the very beginning when we were sitting down here. So it's actually one of my dreams was to make a. When you were talking about what what's cool about doing a podcast and why you like it, what your intentions were for it, it reminded me of this idea that I used to think would be so great that I never realized because we tried something and it turned out to be very different. But to get a bunch of people like musicians but not just musicians also anybody that's involved in 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 music and even other arts to just hang out sort of like a Jim Jarmusch film you know sitting around coffee and and coffee and pie or something and try to like (laughs) coffee and pie (laughs) and try to try to get try to get in on the conversations that people will have when they're really just brainstorm, like really open-mindedly looking. Like they, there's no, no instruments around, or there could be instruments around, but you have a, you have time in between to just be, and to talk to each other and say, hey, what's you know, what do you think is important about any of this, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and like really ask some really kind of you know, maybe deep, but also maybe just freedom free thinking type questions and just like let it flow and then cut all of the good shit together obviously get somebody to do the hard work i always thought that that would be fascinating because it's not 
stories are fascinating and also this sort of weird space in between everything that we all have we never get to share that right? right you know there's no way to say well obviously you know how it feels to do that because we're different so not everything is the same it's like you see these old videos with John Lennon and Yoko and everybody sitting around in their New York apartment and you know they're yeah. talking all kind of, you know exactly what you're saying yeah there's there's that's a bohemian thing that's mm -hmm. an aspect of bohemian mm -hmm. life that's mm -hmm. really essential and it's essential, I think, to city life, too, right? There's so many of us, and we're walking around. It's possible in New York City to, well, I, I get to, I, I tend to isolate, you know. It's good if you can be in a cafe and sit around and talk. With other There's people. definitely some characters in this city, or as Dr. John <laughs> calls them, characters. Yeah. <laughs> That's Well, yeah, I think we've, we've solved, uh, we've solved all many the of the world's issues. <laughs> yeah, well, I can let you go. I feel not, not like you want to stop. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to take up your time. I, 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 can't, I have enough, but you I You want to tell edit. more stories. You can go back to telling a few more stories. If you, no, we have some really good stuff. It interesting how you were talking about how we had fun on the road, and then, and then I stopped and thought, well, did I ever not have fun on the road? And... Um, we just acted so immature on the road. We were goofy, and it was fun. Oh, sure. And it was, a, you know what it was? It's like, Holland Oats, there's like 30 people, 30-something people traveling, and everybody's yeah. isolated, and I don't know half the names of the people in the crew and the riggers and all this stuff. Of course, the band is a nucleus, mm -hmm. a bunch of guys, and we hang. But um, with your thing, it was like, it was very small. You know, it was a treat. It was... yeah. It was four people and a tour manager, and it was everybody. You're together all the time, man. Do you remember that time backstage in at Lon in London? I think backstage at the Barbican, where Jeremy Stacy was trying to play like oh, I have it on the modern the, American, the modern composing. Yeah, he's just hitting keys. Didn't I like, send you that video with Barack playing the bass? Yeah, tone? yeah, it's so. Barack jumps in and he like create it, like turns it into a with the bow. And there's one where musical Jeremy's thing. playing. I'm not gonna put this on the thing. He's playing like this. He's playing the theme from the Hulk. <laughs> really? And, and, the, and I focused in like, <laughs> and then it comes out, and he's playing. He's playing the theme for the Hulk, and it sounds great. And I zoom out. It's in a hotel lobby, and I zoom out, and then gradually you see this sign. It says, "Please do not." Play <laughs> <laughs> see the the most out stuff was like to me the the most out it ever got was when and I'm not going to say who one member of the band went off the wagon and just went all out and just took everything that was available that night in that city and stayed up all night <laughs> and I had no idea like that's the way I would do it so no judgment at all but in fact, I have done it. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've I've done my version of that in in other ways too. But but the funny part was the next morning. Like we had to do our normal thing again, and like early in the morning, and get in a van and go to the airport as usual. Go to another place. Well, first he's checking out of the hotel, and 
the hotel, uh, you know, manage representative is saying, okay, sir, did you have anything in the mini bar? That's usually the first question they ask, you know, and he said, all of it. <laughs> I had all of it. But the, but the manager looks at him funny, like, I don't think I, I get, because this is in Brazil, and he looks at him a little funny, he's like, I'm not sure I understand. Um, did you have a, did you have a beer? He said, yes, I had all the beers. I had, I had all of it. He said, okay, did you have the soda? He said, yes, I had the soda. I had all of it. And then the hotel manager starts listing every single thing. For it takes him about ten minutes to finish Everything. asking him Wine, every. Did liquor. you have, did you have the the candy bar? What about the mints? Did you have the mints? He finally, you know, it was just like he said he had all. Of it. Leave him alone. <laughs> He's just trying to get out of there, and he just keeps saying, "I had all of it. I had all of it." And meanwhile, the poor guy is like really hung over you know and really not feeling well and so after that scene he got in the car and then the rest of the rest uh, of that morning was horrible like he was sick and unhappy and um to the point where the tour manager said you need to go away right <laughs> get out of here <laughs> you need to go separate yourself from the crowd for a while but that's, those are great memories great. to I, me. I remember you know? a good story now. I think it was in Norway. It was the last show of a tour. And it, I had a really early lobby call. We all had an early lobby call because I guess I was flying back to New York with you guys. But you were going to L.A., so you had a different time. But it was the last show. And we were mm-hmm. staying in, like, some old hotel, like a converted old house, beautiful place. Hmm. And, like... Three o'clock in the morning, all the fire alarms go off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, I remember So everybody's, that. like, the whole hotel evacuates in the middle of this, this town. <laughs> and we're like, man, what the fuck? It's like, I got to get up in, like, two hours, three hours. Everybody's standing out in pajamas. And I see Barack and I see Leslie. And Barack goes, Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her. I, I just saw her going into her hotel room with a cigarette. <laughs> and the whole hotel. And I didn't see you again for like a year. That was like the last thing. That's <laughs> my send off to you. That's great. To you poor guys. Oh my God. That's terrible. <laughs> so Rock said it was me. And yeah, he, he goes, didn't I even... just saw Maddie. She was, going her, she was coming into her room with a cigarette. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, that is really bad oh, actually good times yeah see it's people think jazz is some, some badass jazz musicians man they're they're like oh. you know they're they're bad they're not they're like it's worse than rock and roll all the debauchery um well it's not really i mean <laughs> I told that one story about going all out, drinking the whole mini bar. Of course, I had done that once. <laughs> For me, when I did drink the whole mini bar, it was at a time when I was not making that much money on the road. Like in my early 20s, when I first started touring, I was just borrowing money to be out there. I wasn't making any money. I didn't have an income, really, hardly. And I didn't pay attention. I just drank everything in the mini bar. And the next day, the bill that came in was like in a f- Swiss francs or something. I think it was like a thousand dollars. Oh my god! 
And uh, I've just pleaded with them, please, please don't make me pay this. <laughs> <laughs> and what did they do? They let they, you off the hook? They tried, yeah. They did whatever they they did something, and 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 they were like, "Well, you can pay it in pieces or something like that." Wow. I was like, "I can't." How do you leave a hotel without paying the? You know? Yeah. Well, that's a that's a you know I don't know if you if you care to talk about this, but one of the first lessons I ever got on the road was um, don't ever skimp on food. You know, always spend your money on food. And I was like, what? You know? Yeah. I mean, it really had to rethink that whole thing. Because if you're going out to eat and you think, well, man, I got to be healthy. So I got to have like a real meal. And so it's not not every day that you can have a real meal, obviously. You know, like a home-cooked meal is the best, right? Anyway. We've had some great meals out with you. I remember. Yeah. I mean, man, you must have had that dialed in then by, by the time <laughs> I got there. Because, shit, I don't You're remember so ever funny. not you saying, and no, sometimes you a... won't have it. I'm going, no, we had four yeah. or five course Italian dinners. I remember that stuff. Yeah. some of the most amazing meals with, with on your tours, actually. It's gotten leaner, and I think it has to do with the way the music business has changed. You know, records don't count for uh, sales unless I mean how about you you just did that record uh, um, you just won a Grammy I think oh that was, was it last year two that years was ago? two three years ago now yeah but did that was that affected by sales or did it affect I mean, sales at all maybe in a minuscule amount I mean it's not like you said people don't buy music anymore they can get it for free you know I mean it's like there. I've talked about this on the podcast before. There, there are mm-hmm. generations now coming up where they just assume music is free. It's like, why would I pay for it? It's on YouTube. You know, I can get everything from YouTube. So, I mean, the truth is that I never had the money to buy records until I was making records, and or to go to concerts. I could never afford to go to a concert until I was playing jazz festivals, and I could go watch right. somebody play. And the truth is that because of that, those mixtapes were like my, my, my life line, you know, like, give me a copy of a record that you bought. Right. And of course I would buy a record if I could, if I had the money, I would buy a record, but it was few and far between. So I've always tried to figure out, like, if you really don't have money, isn't it great that you can go on YouTube and get great content? It is like, great. And I and I grew up in that same culture where we make tapes and give it. But the thing is now is, like, you put out a record. I put out my little solo record, and somebody puts it on a torrent. That's the difference. And the mm-hmm. whole world can t- download it in a minute. That's right. a little different than giving your buddy a mixtape of something, you know. It's, like, kind of, come on. Yeah, maybe the... Maybe the general idea in a broad sense is the same, but it's not because now you've got anybody in the world can take it, steal it. It's just stealing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I see wow, both sides. Stealing of it. is what it is. Yeah, but that's the world we live in now, you know. And people, it's a, it's an iPhone culture, man. Everything is like, yeah. I mean, and and it's a it it is like you said, it is amazing too because I use the technology absolutely. We're using it right now. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It's a double-edged thing. You ever yeah. read The Onion? You know what I'm talking about, The Onion? Oh, I love the paper. There was one, yeah, yeah, there was one where, because, you know, you stand in a, you, you 
play in front of a crowd, man. It's like every other person has an iPhone filming it. And, and somebody did an article where it said, man forced to watch concert after iPhone runs out of power. <laughs> no, man forced to watch concert with own eyes after cell phone runs out of power. And he goes, it was amazing. It was like I could really enjoy it. And oh, how sweet. <laughs> I love the onion. Was realizing recently that I need to find a way to be like that again. So that I w I'm not writing emails. Are you emails. playing music all the time? <laughs> oh, you mean like the the uh, like all day long duties and all the things you have yeah. to do? Interviews, and fan mail, and all that stuff. Emails comes along with it, I guess. It's part of the deal. Well, even just having a bank account is. I mean, I really mean like a more of a bohemian kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the allure of a, a lot of people, I think, nowadays, too, with the whole minimalism thing. And, and a lot of people come to New Orleans because they think it's bohemian. And, and I think, in theory, it's a nice romantic idea, but the practical aspects of it is like, it's hard to exist without a bank account. Yeah, it's, it's hard it doesn't to, matter where you yeah, are. I mean, you, you have to create your whole, if you're going to do that, you have yeah. to create the whole thing yourself. Yeah. You really, you really have to figure out your own way of doing it. What did we do without before cell phone? How'd you go on tour without a cell phone? Yeah. Or Skype. Well, or... remember you'd have to stop and go to a payphone. But I think it also meant I had more time with my guitar. I had more time with dreams. Dreaming is cool. If you're not always mm -hmm. got have a if you don't, always don't have a screen in front of your eyes and stuff. But, um, you don't have people texting you all the time and ding asking you can you can I go over and interview you <laughs> <laughs> that was so nice Shane I love your podcast and I hope, thank you I hope uh, I hope we did a good one today so you, we have more than enough I'll, I'll find some nuggets and awesome and I hope the music sounds good in the end because I'm sure I was doing it too slow if Jeremy had been here he would have he would have said exactly it's exactly, exactly the wrong it's supposed tempo. to be. no I love Jeremy <laughs> so anyway I guess that's it okay all right but actually we weren't done we talked and talked and talked for many more hours and actually hung out and had a nice dinner in Chinatown love Maddie great to catch up hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and I have a lot of other good ones coming up let's see I just finished an interview with my bro Tommy Malone from the Sub Dudes New Orleans you'll love that one lots of laughs I have one coming up with Adam Levy who I've known for years former Nora Jones guitar player does his own thing great cat lots of other people coming up stay tuned Thanks for helping me spread the word. See you next time on The Riff Raff.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.